Today, Gabby and I are talking about management consultancies and burnout. She is sharing with us her personal experience of burnout whilst working as a management consultant and some of her ideas about what management consultancies could do better. Gabby is a burnout prevention and recovery coach and trainer with a big four tax background. As many others before her, she burnt out to a crisp and by the time she became a manager, she was ready to go. Gabby now runs her own company, The Unspecialist, helping individuals and companies to make burnout an exception and not the rule. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Here we go. It's nearly 10 years since my burnout experience and I believe that it wasn't necessary for me to burn out and it's not necessary for you either. In this podcast, my guests and I share our real life experiences with burnout We get into the science of stress and share actionable tips on how to prevent burnout and how to recover from it. I'm Hannah Holden, ex-management consultant and burnout survivor. I work with management consultants to help them avoid and overcome burnout. I help them to get intentional about their choices, rebuild their energy and embed new healthy habits so that they can get back to loving life. Hello Gabby, so welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me, Hannah. I'm really glad to be here. So I wanted to start today, I want to get on to talking about management consultancies because that's something that we've both had experience in. But let's start with you personally. It would be interesting to understand a bit about your personal experiences with stress and burnout and how you came to now be talking about these topics. So what that looked like for you and how did you work with your work or how did work handle your situation as you experience burnout that would be a great place to start yeah so I mean straight out of uni um, having done summer internships uh, I landed a job in tax consulting on one of the big big firms uh, we all know them if we worked in management consulting uh, but let's not name names um, and you know it was like a job that was a dream come true I got on a graduate scheme I got a started my final year at university so I didn't have to do anything in my final year uh, and then straight out of university after a bit of a summer I was there in an open space office um, working as a tax consultant from day one um, and frankly a few months in I knew I, this wasn't going to be what I was going to do for life um, but I thought okay maybe I'll change teams I'll change specialisms uh, maybe it'll get more interesting as I get more senior. Maybe it's just the grunt work that you do as a junior. Um, and I changed teams um, after a year, which was what everyone was doing. Uh, it got a bit more interesting from the tax perspective, but the work got no better. I mean, it is fast paced. It's a lot of pressure, a lot of client demands and internal demands. And being a perfectionist, I wanted to meet all of those demands to the best of my ability and beyond because you know the best of my ability was just that's normal let's do more than the best of my ability um and then you know covid hit and we didn't stop we didn't pause the the world stopped but work never did and i sometimes uh, joke um, it's a bit of a dark joke that um there's two things that uh, are sure in life and that's death and taxes uh, and I was in taxes, so <laughs> our jobs was fairly secure. I mean, all transaction work. So, like, I worked on um, 
people buying and selling property or other companies buying and selling property a lot that that all stopped because no one knew what was going on but then a lot of other problems arose and uh, our advice was needed also while other people were furloughed while other companies were slowing down we were full steam ahead while dealing with this massive emergency i couldn't go see my family because they were in a different country and obviously no one technically could it was it was a lot of pressure and uh, you know it was a whole also stress of what would happen if what will happen if i catch this virus which, which everyone else was feeling but at the time we weren't sort of allowed to even take a pause because the clients came first so it was all taking phone calls with big companies from my bedroom and i was thinking like what am i doing this is, this feels so wrong um and a few months into the pandemic um my anxiety symptoms just got bad i was always an anxious person but with all that pressure, with with all that stress that's ongoing, with all the work that was on my to-do list, I sometimes have had a like to-do list spilling over an A4 page of paper, which is ridiculous now that I think about it. But a few months in, I got into a complete freeze state. I was sat in front of my laptop and I couldn't do anything. I struggled with completing tasks that I would normally do with ease um, not to mention difficult tasks because those I would just sit and stare at because I didn't even know where to start I didn't know how to handle them I was just frozen and it just brings that back to the to the stress responses you have freeze um, flight and fight and freeze i was past fight or flight there was no fight or flight left in me it was just me being in this chair that i'm sat in now not being able to do anything and just crying because at that point the the sight of the outlook pop-up would trigger tears in me even if it was a newsletter and i got signed off work because i opened up to my coach at work um, and it wasn't intentional it was completely accidental we were just having a routine sort of monthly catch-up and I just burst into tears and she was like okay look off I think it was a Thursday or a Friday she's like yeah come back on Wednesday just take a few days off like Colin sick well I didn't come back for a month um, because my GP decided that, well, that a few days was nothing it's not going to do anything and at that point, I just thought it was anxiety. But when I started working with a therapist, I realized, and she made me realize that I was actually in burnout, that I was constantly mm. exhausted, which is, there's a few main symptoms of burnout. There's exhaustion, there is cynicism, and I didn't see any point in what I was doing, which also felt normal. I was in a big corporate, working for big corporates, and sometimes, even stereotypically, that can be like, well, doing a work that doesn't do anything positive for the world. So even when I was feeling cynical, I thought I was just, okay, it's normal, I'm seeing the reality of, of the job I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when there was actually a, a symptom and that exhaustion, that sleepiness, that tiredness, that inability to focus. I mean, it was right there on the plate. The, the anxiety was just the cherry on top um, that, that added to that burnout. Mm. Mm. Wow. 
And um, and so all of this within a how long had you been in the consulting role in the consulting organisation that you were in? Um, that was under two years actually at that point. Right. Um, and you know, I, 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 when I got signed off, I kind of knew that consulting, consulting and me were just not a match made in heaven. Mm. I, my personality, my sort of health tendencies. I knew it wasn't going to work, but also this was the only thing I really knew at that point. I, I went into that career straight out of university, and um, I got back into the, into the job and thought, okay, maybe now I'm better, now I've rested. I had a month off, then for another month I was just on a return to work, I was working part-time. Um, everyone was very sort of, oh yeah, you're working part-time, great. But no one knew what happened to me, apart from most of my closest co-workers and my managers. And you have multiple managers in that situation, so some people knew, some people didn't. Mm. Um, and when I came back, because um, you asked what, what has work done for me, um, I had a sit-down with, um, with a manager where we agreed actions that would help me manage anxiety, manage burnout while in the workplace, but it was it became my responsibility to implement those points when I didn't have the mental energy or mental space to advocate for myself. Mm. And it would have been so, so helpful to have had an advocate. Can you give examples of what sort of thing what what mm -hmm. what they what those items might have been? Yes, so the idea was that I wouldn't work on any very urgent projects that would have a lot of time pressure because that can become stressful. Okay, and so that so was agreed with one manager, but not necessarily the manager who was then responsible for allocating your work. And so the idea was that you were then supposed to say, no, that's not great for me. And like you said, some people would have known and understood the process that you were going through and you might have been then having to have those difficult conversations with somebody else like you say advocating on your behalf so I can see now that you've kind of given us some light to it like given it some color I can see how challenging that would be if you're mentally exhausted physically exhausted and then you're being expected to have what can be quite challenging conversations because you're effectively saying learning to say no to somebody right and um, and then having to try and explain it to them which isn't necessarily what you want to be doing every day. Um, yeah, okay. And so they came up with a sensible list of things that you were expected to mm -hmm. stand by and advocate for yourself over. So how did that yes. go? It didn't. It didn't go. That's the thing. I mustered the energy once to tell someone oh sorry i'm not working on transactions at the moment because of like my illness and i wasn't even mentioning what mm -hmm. it was not that mm -hmm. i've i've always i'm generally an open person about my mental health but it's not with everyone they want to discuss it and when you're in that vulnerable position relying on the person who's not well to advocate for themselves is just a recipe for disaster because a year later, I was off sick again because mm -hmm. that pressure built up again. So there were exams to take because that's what you do in professional services. In the first few years of your career, you take a lot of exams. I, I didn't finish mine, but I had a total of planned 
17 exams over three years, which is on top of your full-time job, mm-hmm. um, which is an added pressure, especially as you can get fired for failing them. So there were exams that I had to pass in that time, and that was, that was a great amount of pressure. And, and yeah, I ended up sort of never recovering from that burnout and being bad enough again that I had to be signed off because, in part, because that's my tendency and natural tendencies towards burnout are a thing, and I acknowledge that. Um, but also the support wasn't quite there. And I know that varies from team to team, but that's just, that's my personal experience. It just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that there are attributes of us as individuals that help or don't help when it comes to burnout. Um, And some of those are actually positive qualities when management consultancies are looking for people to work for them. So having perfectionists, having overachievers, they want to, they specifically go out there and try to hire these individuals, right? But those are the individuals who are prone to pushing themselves too far and expecting too much of themselves and not giving themselves a break and feeling like it's never enough and always wanting it to be better. And so, so yes, um, there are, individual tendencies and then there's the the workplace tendencies and you touched on a lack of control and not knowing what to expect every day and the workload being unrealistic and um so yeah some of the workplace attributes that have a negative contribution towards towards burnout so you seem well now (laughs) um can you just without too much detail but what did it look like what turned things around and um and now you focus on uh helping others with burnout so how did you go from being in a place of burnout to being well and helping others yeah so burnout recovery like anything is a process it's not that one day you will do something and it will turn the burnout off in your head like it's not like a stove sort of fire it's like more like a forest fire even if you stop it there's still smoke going on mm. um so it is a life change not you know i can't give you three things to do and they're gonna cure your burnout i wish i would be i would be selling those like hotcakes but there isn't there it's not available so I started putting much more attention and much more effort into myself rather mm-hmm. than my work, mm-hmm. um, which was incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. As an overachiever and perfectionist, the done is better than perfect is something that I repeat to myself, but that is so hard for me uh, because... You know, perfection is what I was taught to strive for for so many years from school, from early years into my career. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes I post LinkedIn posts with typos in them and I just let them go. Um, I do a one read and that's it. If, if I miss something, I miss something. And doing things like that, um, just allowing yourself to be wrong, to make mistakes um and just just accept it sometimes my friend messages me and says like oh you like have a typo there i'm like okay i'll correct it or that's fine it'll be that doesn't change the meaning um 
that taking care of my body was also very important because when we are sat at our desks, this is not a natural human thing to do. Uh, our ancestors didn't just sit all day. It, it's, a it's a ridiculous invention of more than sort of the last 150 years, maybe. Um, hell, my great-grandparents were working the fields. They weren't sat at any desks. Um, so I, for me, something that I also advocate to my clients is yin yoga. Um, it's a sort of meditative type of yoga mm -hmm. uh, where you stretch very deeply and it can, um, I'll sound quite woo-woo now, but it can unlock the sort of trauma that's stored in your body because our body does store trauma. Mm -hmm. I'm not making this up now. It's all right. I've got other episodes on um, on how how what's happening in our mind affects our body. Yeah. There's a, I've got a whole episode on that um, around uh, the peptides that our mm -hmm. thought processes create and the impact that that has on the, every system in our body. So, yeah, yeah we've we've covered that. Um, I yeah, and if you want to hear more on that, then go dig out the body mind uh, episodes. Yeah, so yin yoga is a particular type of yoga where you hold poses for a very long time, get into a yeah. very deep stretch. I'm a twice qualified yoga teacher, so I do a couple of different types of yoga styles. Um, yin is unique for the length of time that you hold poses for. So um, sometimes it will be as little as two minutes, but sometimes it can be as long as 20 minutes, depending on what the poses are and what the teacher's doing. And because of that, it stretches the muscles in a way that kind of goes deeper than your average stretch. You know, it's not like kind of stretching off after a run. It's it's far deeper than that. Um, and yes, uh, they are known for people having emotional releases, not just the physical muscle releasing, but people kind of tapping into emotions that they weren't there, weren't, weren't aware were there, or yeah, or were perhaps aware of them, but not, not going there. So yes, that it doesn't surprise me that you found that helpful yeah no it's it's honestly fantastic and it's not just on the physical level because yin teaches you not to go to a hundred percent because being in a deep stretch at a hundred percent for five minutes is just actually impossible uh, and definitely not achieving what you want to achieve which is that relaxation mm -hmm. um, so it's been teaching me to be patient with myself to listen to myself and to not do at 100%. Mm. Very few tasks need your 100%. Mm. And that's also a learning that I've had from burnout. Other than, you know, doing the, the whole like healthy living stuff, which I'm sure everyone's heard a million times, getting your sleep in, getting your food in, that is, you know, relatively healthy. Um, I also go for walks every day. Um, Hugging people is really helpful because the good all the good hormones are released. So it's more of a mindset and lifestyle change than mm. like start doing lists to do lists a specific way and it's going to solve your burnout. It's not going to. It's not going to have any effect really. Yeah, yeah. So productivity hacks um, have their place, but they're yeah. not they're not going to fix burnout. <laughs> and like you said, I think. A lot of people look for quick fixes and I think that 
a lot of people experience burnout quite rapidly, that they're surprised that they're suddenly experiencing it and the onset of burnout seems to happen rapidly. But really, burnout happens as a consequence of chronic stress. So actually, if you look back over the period of chronic stress, this is something that's been building up for normally years. So for you, it was about two years when you first had burnout and then a, another year later when, you, um, when it kind of relapsed. Um, and yeah, so you can't expect to undo years and years of stress in a week's re retreat or something. It's just not going to happen. Um, I, I think it's really good that you talk about looking after yourself and you talk about it physically, but also about that learning how to be okay with mistakes, which is, is about handling that negative self-talk that we all have of like beating ourselves up for weeks about the typo or whatever it might be. Yeah, so, that, so yeah, I think there are different aspects um, of looking after yourself. And I, lo I love the fact that you were talking about hugging too. And yoga, well, the thing that I think that's interesting about yoga that you just mentioned was about how yoga, this is, this is kind of partly my interpretation of it. So for me, yoga is about having this safe space where you intentionally experience things which aren't necessarily pleasant, so challenging things. And yin yoga is one of these yoga styles that allows you to, ch to experience challenging things because holding a pose for that period of time, your brain starts telling you, I've got to move, I've got to move, I've got to get, this is ridiculous, I can't hold this for any longer. Your brain is going to start doing all of that. And then you kind of have to check in with yourself and, and say, is this my body that needs me to back off? Or is this my brain that's full of nonsense and, and telling me that? And so there's, it increases that awareness. And I think that that's an amazing thing that yoga does for you. Because like you say, you can then take that off the mat and, and learn to not push yourself to 100 and something percent every time because you've learned that on the mat in yoga. So that, uh, anyway, a week, I could talk for weeks on the topic. of. <laughs> um, so let's not do that. Let's talk a bit about... What do you think consultancies could do differently to better prepare people? Like you were describing that you went straight out of university into your consulting job. So what could they do to better prepare people for consulting? And once they're there, how do you feel that they could better support the consultants that they have? So, you, I mean, you, you just described about asking people to advocate for themselves, for example, isn't really going to work. So what could consultancies do differently and better? Yes, I think... Well, consultancies are pretty amazing, especially in those like technical areas that I was in, is training people on the technical areas that they work in. Uh, so I received a wealth of training uh, on the technical aspects of tax, of um, like the specific little areas, including the, the exams I took. Uh, I was on, um, I got sort of a long period of training at the beginning of my graduate scheme. Um, and that included things like, you know, writing emails, going to meetings, taking notes. Um, so there was space for soft skills, but there was nothing on well-being and keeping yourself well. Um, and, you know, you go into those, those big jobs, big responsibilities, often dealing with large sums of money, even if they're not physically in your hands, you know what's at stake. And you've gone there straight from university, from a very structured environment where there was a module for 10 weeks and then you wrote an exam and then you went on to the next module mm -hmm. um, 
which is very similar at school. You know, you do a certain piece of it, part of education, you take an exam, move on. Um, whereas you go into a job and there is no end. There is always new tasks rolling in. And with consulting, you don't necessarily know what's coming tomorrow. Uh, you don't know who you're going to be working with necessarily, what your client's going to come in with, because you might have planned the most perfect day for the next day, and then one of your biggest client, biggest client comes in with, we urgently need to find out this thing, mm -hmm. and you suddenly with this left with this perfect list that you can't really execute, and no one taught you how to prioritize and deprioritize tasks, and no one taught you boundary setting, so you haven't told that manager that uh, you're already very busy with other things and is there someone else who could help with that or whether they can help you reprioritize and speak with other people for you. So that's the problem. I feel like the juniors that come in are left to learn how to take care of themselves by themselves. Uh, or by watching their seniors who also were not taught by anyone picking up tips here and there and a lot of the tips being yeah show your best like you know put your best foot forward show your show your best performance to everyone you want to impress that partner you want to impress that partner you want to you want to be on that client that's good for your career that's what i was hearing i wasn't hearing set healthy boundaries leave on time um make sure you're like resting in the evenings around exams uh, for example we would be put in college and the people who teach in those colleges are former accountants or auditors and they have those same unhealthy habits so they would tell us to work you know mornings evenings and weekends with no breaks because it's worth it for those exams. And I was just sat there thinking, well, that's not how the human brain works. We can't work without breaks. This is not productive. This is not going to get the best results. And, you know, we never taught those things. Our parents usually don't teach those things to us. Our schools don't teach those to us. So I think a robust program of well-being in a sort of sense even of you need to do this to do your job best because we are talking about high achievers who have come in to a fancy job let's call it who want to do their best so if you tell them oh relax they're going to be like but i don't have time to relax this needs to be framed as this is for you to do the absolute best job and mm. in a way teaching them how to take care of themselves but this is this isn't just reliant on those juniors because as we've spoken about my example putting all the responsibility on the junior is too much responsibility on the junior uh, in particularly because you do have that imbalance of power even if you have the best relationships with your managers and i had great relationships with my managers you know um but th they were still managers and i still answered to them and they still you know took my case for example at the end of the year to get me a promotion I still needed to impress them to some extent. So in order to implement early years well-being programs, you need manager buy-in. The managers need to be there to support that well-being journey. Um, because if there are sort of like, oh yeah, this is washy-washy stuff, or like uh, say there's a session with a well-being practitioner and there's sort of a client calling, maybe not the most important client, they're like, yeah, ditch that session. 
come to the client call, this is more important, clients are always the most important. And, you know, that's, that's the management consulting sort of mantra, client is the most important. We don't say no to clients, mm. we don't push boundary, put boundaries on their clients. Mm. Uh, I pretty much have more boundaries with my coaching clients and my corporate clients now than I did at working at a big company that had quite a lot of pull. So teaching those people make them have better careers, healthy careers, uh, and having that support from the managers actually ensures it happens. Um, because, you know, if, if there's no support from managers, nothing's going to happen. I, I could, you know, run 300 hours of well-being webinars for a junior, for juniors. It's not going to do anything if the, if the managers are not on board. Yeah, so um, this is interesting because I, I'm thinking about there are a couple of trains of thought that I've got here, but one of them is the fact that actually managers didn't get the training either. And whilst they may not have, they may have made it to wherever they are now, having not experienced burnout, they may have, they may have experienced it and managed to get themselves back into work, or maybe they haven't and they've, they've got this far, but they are also going to be having the same problem. And um, you described earlier about how it kind of filters down, you know, it comes down from above, the pressure just with no boundaries being put in place by anybody and it just lands on the shoulders of the junior to then do the work right but um that doesn't mean that the manager is then free of all stress to, to do with the, the situation and so in fact it that training is probably required for everybody in the organization because they all missed out on it right you missed out on it they all missed out on it um but the other thing was i was on a podcast talking about exec burnout recently and i think one of the most interesting things about educating executives um, and leaders about burnout but also about what they can do um, so they can become better role models because the example that um, somebody gave on on that podcast was making sure that you don't check your emails or, or you're not seen sending emails at crazy hours of the day or night um, as an example you know like logging on at five o'clock in the morning you don't need to do that and if managers are doing it, it sets a precedent. And then as a junior person, you feel like, oh, I'm supposed to be online at five o'clock in the morning. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of training is needed. And, and this, these kinds of conversations are needed and awareness is needed across the whole spectrum of juniors through to execs because we really need the good stuff filtering down to everybody from above, right? We need the role models. We need to witness how our manager has set a boundary with a client who's just come up with an urgent need for today and how they've said, well, we're actually servicing another client today, but we can fit you in later in this week. You know, like if we see that, we're going to mimic that. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, how, how we can train at the top and then see those behaviours filter down. Yeah, I think it's important that you said show by like lead by example mm. and you give an example of an action rather than sort of sending emails reminding people to take breaks when you know oh, that that would happen we would get emails from partners being like remember to take care of yourself remember to take breaks exercise and i remember sitting next to those people in the office and they were not taking breaks mm. uh, which is even less visible during uh, working from home that we don't sort of physically see as our leaders sometimes. So when thinking of how to lead in the times of working from home being such a big part of our lives and still showing those well-being behaviours, I think that's really important and something to give a serious thought to. Yeah, yeah, they need to be... Um, I don't 
the, the term monkey see, monkey do keeps popping into my head, and I don't mean to belittle anybody with that, but we all learn from other people, right? We learn from what we've seen, and those juniors are not going to learn boundary setting unless their seniors are setting boundaries, because um, it, whilst even if they had the skills to set the boundary, at a, like even if your juniors had the skills to set boundaries, if they weren't seeing that that was what's expected in this environment, then they're not going to do it. Yeah, so... Um, so there's a lot to be said about training up our execs and our leaders and our managers. Um, so, and I'd like you to describe what you wanted to do in this space, because I know that you were talking about offering some kind of training or going in and, and helping with these kind of programs. What is it that you want to bring to organisations? Yeah, so my aim is not to be working with people who are so burnt out they can't get out of bed. Frankly, as a coach, this is outside of my area of expertise. At that point, when people are at that point, they need to see a therapist, most likely they need to see a doctor. I think prevention of burnout is where we need to be uh, putting more money. And this is really for the good of the business. Because, mm. you know, we're talking about Gen Z's now joining those organisations. And Gen Z's are not going to stay if they're unhappy in their roles or if they're burning out, they're going to go. So the, the, the times of people just staying in careers because they caught a good job, I think are pretty much being becoming over. Um, I mean, case in point myself, I left because I burnt out and I wasn't ready to put up with that. So mm -hmm. my aim is to, of course, work across organisations, work with people at different levels, teaching them those skills to look after themselves, the prioritization, the boundary setting, those very important things. Because um, as you said, no one was taught that, so everyone needs it. Uh, but my idea would be to be able to work with those people fresh out of universities, those like people in their early 20s that have not had much professional experience, have not had a sort of a previous caring boss who may have taught them that, for example, um, and haven't had much opportunity at university because it's not taught at universities either. Well, no, so, I mean, boundaries aren't, yeah. you don't set boundaries at university. You get set, here's your task, yeah. here's your deadline, here's your exam date, here's your dissertation submission date. There's no kind of... there. Boundaries don't need to be set. And, and no. universities, to a certain extent, have made sure that things are spaced out appropriately for people and that it is a manageable workload. So that boundary setting has been done on their behalf. So no, it, it, those soft skills are, are definitely not taught. They're not required there. So it makes yeah. perfect sense what you're saying. And I know that when we've spoken before, you're particularly passionate about that group of people, the, the new joiners into mm -hmm. management consultants and how they need that, um, that education, that... Um, yeah, that support and guidance on how, how they can manage all of this. So thank you for talking about that. Um, we're going to wrap up shortly. Was there anything I... We could probably talk all night, but given that we're not going to, was there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up? I think just a little piece of advice. Um, we're taught to prioritise things, and we're not taught that to prioritise. We also need to deprioritise. So it's a dual action. We can't just be prioritizing endlessly. To prioritize something, we need to deprioritize others. Mm -hmm. And I think 
that is something that I wish I knew when I first started, when I tried to do absolutely everything on my to-do list myself mm. and ASAP. So I've heard it said that's something that I'd like to leave people with. If you think everything's a priority, it means that nothing's a priority. And so like you Precisely. say, you need to figure out what is not a priority so that those that are at the top of the list genuinely do get the, the time and attention. That's a good one. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure having you here and having a good old chat about the good, the pros and cons of consulting and the challenges in consulting. So thanks so much. No, thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure being here and chatting with you. If you would like to contact Gabby, then the best place to find her is on LinkedIn. I will include a link to her profile in the show notes. The other place to find her is on her website, which is www.theunspecialist.com. So that's www.theunspecialist.com. podcasts are here to help you manage your stress and burnout and your feedback is really valuable so please rate this podcast and also drop me a note with any questions suggestions or feedback that you might have one of the most common questions I get asked is where should I start and I believe that the best place for you to start is to learn how to soothe your nervous system I've created a free download with instructions for five different ways that you can do just this and all of them work pretty much instantly it's called the essential toolkit for management consultants you can download it now at www.hannaholden.co.uk forward slash essential. One last thing, it's the legal language. This podcast is presented solely for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not intended as a substitute for the advice of your doctor, psychotherapist or other qualified professional.